Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. I only received one email this week that claimed that WWE wrestling was real. Which is disappointing. I thought I'd get more. But you know what? I uh, The one I got completely changed my mind on the subject. Just kidding. I deleted it instantly. I got rid of that thing right away. So if you haven't been here, we are in a series called Open Heaven right now because we feel we are in a time of um, increased blessing and healing and encounter with God. So the, so the first week, uh, to review a little bit, the first week Ron showed us uh, what an open heaven might look like and he encouraged us to pray big prayers. And after that, we looked at the life of Jacob for the past few weeks, and we saw the stance that we should take during this time, right? The way we should position ourselves. We talked about being bold and humble. And then next week, we saw Jacob stealing the blessing of Esau, um, his brother from their father Isaac. And we looked at the true power and of blessing and the power of words, the, the words that we speak over people. And then last week, we saw Jacob wrestling with God. And we said that blessing might not look exactly how you might think it should, right? We saw Jacob praying to God and obeying God even though he was scared, being obedient to God's will even at the risk of his life. And how does God go about bringing blessing into Jacob's life? Because of that, he tackles him, right? He gets him in a headlock and seriously injures his hip. So, so we saw that God many, or may at times wrestle you into a transformed life rather than comfort you in. And all these teachings are at our website at urfellowship.com. You can listen to them there if you want to catch up. Or we have a podcast that you can subscribe to if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of the teachings. Um, But today, we aren't going to talk specifically about Jacob, but we are going to start to look at some of the lessons that we learned from his life. And next week, we're going to look at something I really think is central to what uh, the open heaven means for the upper room. And that is that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Ultimately, that's the big idea. If God opens the storehouses of heaven and pours blessing and favor into our lives in a huge way, but that's where it terminates, it ends with us, then we've missed the point. Wait, it's a big swing and a miss. So we're going to look at that next week. But I think that we have something that we have to address this week so that we can be where we need to be for, the next, for next week to be effective. Today we're going to go. Um, we're going to look at the open heaven principle of inner healing. All right, you saw this in Jacob's life. There were things that he needed healed up in his life before Jacob could be a blessing. He was called to be to others. Wounded people often wound others. Healed people heal others. So for us to bless and be effective with the lost and transform the community and give of ourselves in a way that the world needs us to, we have to be healed up inside. A wound, pain, will make your focus narrow. It will make you focus on yourself, in the natural and the spiritual. Like, say I get a little too animated up here, right? I start making dramatic hand motions, pounding on the pulpit, and I trip myself up. This probably isn't going to happen, but hypothetically, suppose I knock this, this monstrosity of a pulpit over, okay? This is a, this is a giant pulpit, and it falls over and lands on my leg and smashes my ankle, Okay? This thing's like 300 pounds. It's ridiculous. Can we agree? All right. 
I have a love-hate relationship with this Paul. So do you know what the first thing I would do? Stop thinking about all of you, right? If this thing was on my ankle, that's the first thing. I wouldn't care how you were feeling or how you were doing. My focus would narrow to what I'm going through. Works in the spiritual and the natural. Hurts and pains and wounds make us look inward. So we're going to take this week to hopefully jumpstart the inner healing process that we can, so we can see how we need to see next week. Okay? Okay. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis 2. We'll be there for a little bit, and then we'll kind of flip a few places after that. But here's the thing. Don't think to yourself right now, well, this message is for someone else. This, isn't, this, this won't apply to me. All right, here's the truth. No matter where you're at, no matter where, what stage of life, we all can go one step further in our healing process, correct? You don't get through life unscathed. So this is for everybody. And the reason I want to start in Genesis 2 is you need to know the problem before you can know the solution. All right? You have to know where it went wrong so that you can, so we can get healing. So what was God wanting from his image bearers in the garden from the very beginning? What was his call? What was his commission? So let's look at the, f- the first command God ever gave, okay? which is a very interesting thing, right? There's commands, but there's one that was, that was first. I think there's something really interesting in the very, very first command. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 2, 15. We'll read a couple of verses from there. It says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. So they have a job to do. The very first thing, they have a job to do in the garden. Work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it... You will certainly die. Now, if I'm honest, I grew up in church. I heard the story somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 3,000 times, but it never really made sense to me. Okay? I would hear this command and think, okay, God, you made this amazing, beautiful world, and then you put this one thing in it that you didn't want them to touch. Right? It seems to me the logical question is, why did you put that in there in the first place? It kind of seems like a... It's like an eternal cat and mouse game. Like God is just saying, well, let's see how long they last. Well, they lasted four seconds, right? Why? He was trying to tempt us. So there was something going on there, right? He, why did he put it there in the first place? I think we can get a clue to why it's there in the, in the name of the tree. It's the, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, so this is not a trick question. When they eat the tree, they get what? The knowledge of the good and evil, right? Now, another not a trick question. If they don't eat of the tree in themselves, what do they not have? Knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so the verse before God just gave them a job to do, to go and create and cultivate the garden. And then he will give them a command to take dominion over the entire earth. All right, decently sized job. Amen? Okay, so at some point, they're probably going to need the knowledge of good and evil, Correct? This isn't something that God was trying to hide from them, I don't think. They're going to need, they're going to subdue the earth. To do a job like that, you need that knowledge. Okay, so God says you can eat of the tree that will give you that knowledge of good and evil in yourselves. Or if you listen, if they don't eat of that tree, where might they, might be the place where they would get the knowledge that they need? God, Right? By the way, if you're in, a, in any Christian setting and you get asked a question, just say God, right? You'll probably be right, like every time. If you're not right, say, well, I, I'm more holy, sorry. 
So God, from the very beginning, is not trying to be arbitrary with his command, but it's actually a call to closeness. It's a call to intimacy. He's saying there's two roads here. There's a free will from the very first page of Scripture. Either you can be your own God, you can be your own king, and it will not end well. A lot of you have experienced that. Or you can lean on God in full dependence, and it will work well, and it will give you what you need. There will be shalom, which is the word in Genesis for peace and rhythm. Everything working how it's supposed to be working. And the call is that we put ourselves in that position that we have to lean on him for the knowledge of good and evil, to know, to lead us, to guide us, to be with us, to be our counselor. From the very beginning, there were these two choices. The question is, what road are we walking on? What direction have we taken? Now, you know the story. Obviously, they ate from the tree, right? Then there's something, this is kind of biblical, Bible trivia, but it actually specifically says in Genesis that God banished them or exiled them or kicked them out of the garden, however you want to say it. Um, they kicked them out of the garden in a certain direction, which is really interesting. Which direction does it say he kicked them out? Do you know? East, right? It's famous Steinbeck novel, East of Eden. It's almost this cultural phrase for walking away from our Creator. Walking away from the garden, walking away from intimacy with your creator. I think it's real interesting that it says that. It says he got kicked out east. But then in the next chapter, Cain kills his brother Abel and it says he was banished into further exile east. Next chapter, Lot departs from Abraham, which is clearly a choice of disobedience in that story. And if you're reading it, it says that he goes east. The peak story in all of Genesis of human pride and rebellion as a society, is the Tower of Babel, and specifically says they migrated east. It's as if that's, there's this little thing in Scripture that's trying to say, this is what it looks like when you eat of that fruit. You keep walking away from the garden. Going east is about the spiral downward of humanity. Of when, of when you say, I can do it, I don't need you, I'm okay. It never works well. It's walking away from the garden and its beauty and it's joy and it's peace. Right after the Tower of Babel, Babel we get this man named Abram, right? <clears throat> Who gets the name Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. All right. I'm one of them, so are you. I'm not going to do the whole thing again, but here's the first, he's the first one to actually say, I'm going to trust. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to believe. And it says he gets called to an unknown place and it says, he says, yes, I have faith. And he says, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what, you're, what it's going to look like. I have no idea of anything, but I'm going to say yes. Why? Because I trust you. And it actually says he specifically goes a direction when he gets called to an unknown place. Do you know which way? West, right? He's specifically going back toward the garden, back toward that place of walking with the Creator, of intimacy, of the garden. By the way, maybe you can tell I geek out on this stuff, but it keeps going, you, so you can look it up. I'll give you one last example. In the tabernacle, in the temple instructions, God specifically tells the Israelites to build the entrance of the temple on the east side of the temple, so when they're walking in, they're going what direction? West. The temple was a stone and brick building, but yet God tells them to put all this imagery of fruit and trees and leaves and all these different things in the temple. Sounds a lot like a garden, doesn't it? 
God wants to bring us back to that place of shalom, of beauty, of intimacy, of healing. So the question is, are you on that trajectory? Are you moving east or west? Living by faith, living by trust puts you on the trajectory toward the garden. Or you can say, I can do it. I'm wearing a crown. I don't need you. And you move further and further away from his joy and his closeness. You see this in the garden. You see this is set up at the beginning, these two trajectories, these two roads. So which decisions are we making? What roads are we putting ourselves on? I think it really comes down to how we answer not only the first command that we saw, but the first question God actually gives or the first response to sin. This is another interesting thing. There's a thing called the rule of firsts when studying the Bible. Anytime something happens for the first time in Scripture, or if it's the first time God does something, or the first time this topic comes up, pay extra close attention. The first response to sin means that it's, that's a really big deal. Okay, Sin enters the world, they go east, the shalom, the rhythm of life is broken. In Genesis 3, and then God, this is the first time he's ever had to address sin in, in his human creation. How's he going to do it? What's he going to do? He had every right, I think, to snap his fingers and wipe them off the planet. Right? He, ever, he had every right to. He's God. They didn't listen. He could say, you know, boom, you guys are gone. I told you not to touch that tree. He lasted three verses. Did he do that? No. What's he do? What's the very first thing God does after sin? He asks a question. He comes to the garden. He asks a question. Where are you? That's a weird thing for God to do. Why? Because God is God. He already already knows where they are. So what's he doing? He's asking a question to draw Adam and Eve back to him. Where are you, Adam? Come home. Why are you hiding? Why'd you leave me? Why are you not listening to my voice anymore? The first response to sin is not condemnation or guilt or shame. It's God going, where are you? Where are you? It's almost like his father's heart is crying and beckoning to his creation, saying, where are you? Why are you hiding? You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. Then you see in the story, he finds Adam and Eve, and it says they come out of hiding. But they say to him, we hid because we were naked. Then God asks them a second question. Who told you you were, who told you you were naked? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you were condemned? Who told you you had to hide? Because that was not my voice. My voice from the beginning was a call to walk with you and know you. Never bring shame. That's not the true voice over you. So what voice do you listen to? And here's, here's a barometer, by the way. If you want to know if it's God's voice... Because we all struggle with that, right? When we're praying, when we're thinking, when we're asking. And in Scripture, how do we know if it's God's voice? How do you know? If it's the one that's calling you out of hiding, that's a good hint. It's probably his, right? If it's the one putting you into isolation, into condemnation, into a place where there's no life, definitely not his. In Scripture, that's not the character and nature of God. His voice calls you out of hiding. It calls you to vulnerability. It calls you to to be closer to him. You have to ask yourself, is that the voice you're listening to? 
Is that the voice you know? Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is just this huge epic narrative of unraveling. And when, when I read this, I recognize, man, nothing, nothing's changed. He's still asking the same question, and we're still hiding. He's still saying, because Adam in Hebrew actually means humanity, by the way, humanity, where are you? Humans, where are you? Why are you hiding? And so much of us, we use our life and our job and our money uh, to just cover up, which is exactly what they did, and hide. I can do it on my own. I don't need you. We feel that vulnerability and that shame, and rather than coming out into the light with it, we say, I'm going to hide more. We crop and edit ourselves to death, and we put our best foot forward on social media or whatever it is to the point where if you do that long enough, long enough, I almost believe that it, that's really you. But he's calling us out of hiding. Because when God shows up on the scene, everything is different. That's what's beautiful about Jesus, is that he has a different kind of power about him. I think sometimes we make Jesus kind of this hippie, you know, fairy dust guy with long hair, just kind of floating around, saying nice things. Right? But the truth is, he's so explosive with power, it, it cannot even be contained within him. Think about this. In the, old, in, the, in the Old Testament, every time something unclean comes in contact with something clean, who wins in the Old Testament? Anyone? Something unclean is unclean, and it touches something clean in the Old Testament. What happens? The clean thing becomes unclean. The unclean wins every single time in the Old Testament. The Israelite who touches something unclean, they're defiled. They're now dirty, and they're ceremonially unclean. Unclean always wins in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up, and it flips completely. Every time someone comes in contact with Jesus, what happens? They become clean. Every time someone touches Jesus, they are healed and made clean. You see this with the woman that just touches his clothes while he's walking through a crowd. right? Here's a woman who's for 12 years has struggled physically with, with this issue of blood. So her problem is not, not just physical. If she had had this issue for 12 years, the Old Testament law said a couple things. First of all, she was unclean because of her sickness. As a result, she was not permitted to experience the worship, the religious life of the Jewish people. She could not go to the temple. She was defiled and unclean. She couldn't even relate to other people around her because she couldn't touch other people. If she was unclean, because that would make them unclean. So here's a woman who's been ostracized from the religious and the social life of her day completely. She goes to this crowd, and then she is is so bold as to touch Jesus, this teacher, this miracle worker himself, to touch him, risking defiling him. She thinks she'll touch him and get away as quick as she can. However, he stops and he turns and he says, Who touched me? And he comes to her and he looks at her and he says, your faith has healed you. The the picture for healing there is more than just physical healing. It's a word that's used to other places in the New Testament to talk about how we are saved and we are delivered and made whole. And it's emphasized by what he does next. He says, go in peace, shalom. The picture of shalom, peace in the Old Testament is that of wholeness, rightness in your relationship with God. Go in shalom. You're freed from your suffering. This is 
more than just being healed of this issue of blood. Her whole life was made whole. That was the point. He healed every part of her. He made her clean again. He made her whole again. There's a Japanese art form called kintsugi, which is really interesting, where they take pottery and they repair it and make it whole when it's broken rather than throwing it away. Another way to repair it is if a bowl breaks, what you would do is you take a bowl and then you'd use, they'd use this really strong lacquer and they put gold dust in it and they mix it and they use the lacquer to glue the pieces back together. So we, I think we have a picture of it. Oh, go to the first one there. Back one? There you go. Look at the thing. Stunning, isn't it? The actual places where it was broken are actually where your eye is drawn. That's the place of beauty and glory. The world tells us if you're broken, you get thrown away. You can, you can get discarded. We don't need you. But Jesus says, no, I not only want to heal you, but actually make the very places where you were broken and I healed you become the most glorious parts about you. And here's the thing about a piece of pottery that's been repaired using this method. It is more valuable after it has been put back together than before it was broken. When a wound finds healing, it turns into a scar. And maybe it's a bit of a dude thing. But a scar is you usually don't hide a scar like you do a wound, right? A scar tells a story. You want to tell a story of your scars. I'm fighting the urge to tell you scar stories right now. We want to go, let me tell you what happened here. Might that be what Jesus wants to do with you? Here's the truth of the matter. When your wound becomes a scar, then you can tell other people about how good he is and what he's done. If you find healing... That can be, become the very way you start to tell, start telling other people about Jesus. The word we use in church is testimony, which is just telling people, look what Jesus did. Look where he healed me. Look how good he is. You can find healing too. I think that a lot of people don't pursue inner healing because they think, well, it doesn't affect anyone else. It's my deal. I can handle it. But here's the thing, we are, we're blessed to bless. So if you're not pursuing healing, you realize how many other people you're affecting. You realize how many other people that God wants to use you to talk to. That you can't because you're not submitting your wounds to him to heal them. It has bigger ramifications than we understand. He wants to do things through your healing. He wants to do things through your scars. There's a story in John 5 about a guy who had been uh, debilitated for like 38 years. And Jesus shows up and he learns that he had been in this condition for a long time. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That seems like an insulting question, doesn't it? It's like asking a broke guy, wouldn't you like a hundred bucks? Well, yeah, of course. But he asked the guy, do you want to be made well? Why would he ask him that? Well, perhaps it's because Jesus knew. You can't just help someone who needs help. You can only help someone who wants help. So he asked this very specific question. question, Do you want to be made well? Here's the issue with that. 
Listen to me. You will never, ever change when you're tolerating an issue. You cannot change what you're willing to tolerate. Until your desire for healing becomes bigger than your issue, then you'll not start to find your inner healing. Your desire to get healed up must be bigger than the fear of being vulnerable about your wounds. I believe the Spirit of God today would ask you, do you want to be made well? And as you get to know Jesus, as you press into Jesus, as you get close to Jesus, as you turn from moving east back to moving west, he'll bring healing in your life. He'll change your dysfunctional thought processes. He'll bring forgiveness and healing into your heart. He will restore your joy and your peace. I love this verse from the prophet Joel. He's talking to the Israelites who've gone through this unbelievable stuff. And he says, I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Isn't that great? It's like God says, yeah, it's pretty bad, but we'll figure it out. I'll sort it out. I'll redeem it. The past will start to make more sense. What's God doing? He's taking those years, those years that seem to be wasted, and he's repainting it. He's retelling it. He's redeeming it. Bring your hurts and wounds that have taken years of your life, that have stolen your joy, and I'll repay it. I'll repay you. We'll sort it out. I'll repay you. See, that's the invitation. Come sit with me. Come know me, and I'll redeem that bad and make it good. Might we be people who, when we hear that question that's been going from the beginning of time where the Father says, where are you? Might we actually answer that by saying, I'm right here with you, Lord. Amen. Let me, let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you make us clean. God, I just want to lead the way in coming before you with my wounds and my brokenness. God, I know that there are so many people here today that are hurting, have been hurt emotionally, spiritually, in so many different ways. So God, we want to bring those before you, the great physician. I thank you that you're a loving God who knows everything. You know all the details of everything that we've endured. God, you even know what it's like to hurt with us through everything that Jesus endured. Every temptation he faced and all the pain that he endured on the way to the cross. Father, we ask right now that as you're with us, that your presence would bring healing where we hurt. God, we know that the healing process may, makes it take some time. But God, we thank you that one day there's going to be a point of beauty and strength in our lives that you can use. You can use what we've gone through to enable us to make a difference in the lives of other people. God, we thank you that you are here, that you hear the cries of your children, that you love us even more than we can imagine. God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're doing a divine work even now as we pray, and that you're bringing about supernatural healing in the hearts and the lives of your children. Lord, we know that you sent Jesus to reveal the very parts and character of who God is. Who did Jesus hang out with? Broken people, hurting people, sinful people. Those that religion rejected are those that Jesus pursued. And the reality is Jesus may be 
He might be pursuing you right now, and maybe today you say, yes, I want that. I want to know God. I want an assurance of his goodness. As we keep praying, nobody looking around for just a bit. But Scripture says that Jesus is standing at the door and is knocking. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he'll come in and eat with them. He's knocking. And he wants you to say yes to him and open that door. Those of you who would say, yes, I need his forgiveness and I want to know him. And I call on Jesus to save me. I want to know him personally. I want Jesus to be my savior. If that's your prayer today, would you lift your hands high right now and say yes to Jesus? I want to know you and serve you. Amen. I would love to invite all of you uh, to join your faith and your voices with those around you as we pray this very simple prayer. Just pray aloud. Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. Make me brand new. I surrender. I accept the free gift of salvation. Today I make you my Savior and my Lord. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.